Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Uh, time for Tell Me Why with Graham Finlay. Uh, today's question is, what is the dark enlightenment? Which sounds like something from Harry Potter. Graham, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And before we start, I have thoughts about, I have too many thoughts about transporters. Yes. I, I think about this a lot. Okay. First, I like the, think, the, the thought that they might run on diesel or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Set up a generator. <laughs> but the second, and I think about this a lot, because um, I love Star Trek. I imagine the sort of, Development of transport technology was very messy. You got to think, yeah, like, as kinda, you, who's going to be the first person exactly, to go through right? it? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of um, un, you know, people who sacrifice their life just so they can beam down to the surface instead of taking a diesel powered spaceship. Yeah. Right. You know, so anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but uh, living the dream, you know. No, the, so. the, these are all excellent. Plus, they'll start, you know, they'd have to put animals through it and then, you know, no one wanted to be very happy about that. I think a lot of us are thought. looking forward to the replicator, though, right? Um, yeah, but I thought replicator food always tasted kind of like slightly fakey, cardboardy food. Well, it's not totally clear whether they know what tea Earl Grey hot would taste like if you actually went over and made a cup of tea from leaves yes, and stuff like yeah. that. Pat, Patrick Stewart probably would. Or, probably you know, do. Well, my impression, would know, my yeah. impression always was that replicator food was like gluten-free food. Yeah. Like, essentially, they'd taken everything out of it that made the thing what it was. So otherwise, they'd just be like Mouton Rothschild <laughs> 45 again, you know? It's but, just really just a cup of salt. And, and foie gras, <laughs> something like that. Anyway. Right, yes. The dark enlightenment. And this yeah. is the darkest day of the year, so uh, it, it, perhaps appropriate to talk about. It is, and I think that's pretty much the whole hook there. It's the darkest day of the year, yep. and we're now traveling towards the light, which is a beautiful thought. Yes, indeed. Unlike the dark enlightenment itself, which is a set of ugly thoughts. Um, I, I think it's fair to say um, these are people you should never read. People who are easily influenced, don't go read them. Read some of the other people I'm going to talk about. Read Carl Schmidt, right? Um, but these are you're going to make just by saying that you make people want to go. People and read them. I shouldn't yeah. even name them just yeah. in case, but they'll find it on the yeah. internet. But anyway, these are people. Who like Curtis Yarvin and Nick Land, who have coined this notion of the dark enlightenment? Okay, which who is, are Curtis? I've never heard of these people. Indeed, and well, long may that continue. Um, <laughs> you know. So Curtis Yarvin is um, a programmer and a sort of tech startup guy who right. um, is probably mostly famous, however, for wanting to uh, thinking that democracy is basically over, hasn't worked out, isn't good for us, and we should go back to some kind of authoritarian uh, regime. Right. Okay. Um, and now he, he talks, <clears throat> I have to say, I did read some of his work, and I'm, I'm never going to read it again. It's really annoying. And that internet blogging guy who's a tech, I, mean, I keep saying this, but it's there everywhere. Tech bro, like with a blog yeah. kind of style. And he's, you know, so, so he talks sometimes as if he's going to, they're going to go back to some kind of monarchy but that I don't think is really where this all ends up. Um, he became somebody who would go on Tucker Carlson, who would have access to be, to billionaire tech bro and, you know, libertarian in quotation marks, but certainly interested in, in um, neo-authoritarian regimes, Peter Thiel. Uh, and uh, so, so he has some influence in the more extreme parts of, of Peter Thiel's circle, which, which have, you know... We found out recently um, this billionaire, Peter Thiel, um, is spending lots and lots of money to try and influence universities around this kind of thought. Um, and especially around scientific racism, where the scientific is and, and the racism is real. They're racists. But the scientific part is in quotation marks because it's bad science. So he, you know, is is upset with democracy and he, he thinks that it will collapse and, and, and will be replaced 
through in you know with the, with some kind of sovereign state uh, which with the emphasis on the the sovereign decision making part as opposed to the accountability to anybody part right and right? why do, why does he think democracy uh, isn't working it's the, it's a combination of the the tendency towards division mm. but also the genuine belief in his own superiority and people like him and the fact that the rest of us aren't really shouldn't capable of governing ourselves right right okay um, and the same sort of turn was made by this guy Nick Land who was a philosopher of the sort of wilder type you know of a postmodern sort of dancing around with like literally dancing around <laughs> waving your hands um, slamming stuff together and saying, coining new words all the time type, right? Not the kind of philosophy I do, uh, mostly. Um, and uh, who has spawned left-wing Marxist or neo-Marxist um, theorists like Mark Fisher, but in his own right, took a real turn for the authoritarian and the racist, and um, eventually moved to China, where he found a kind of authoritarianism, uh, which uh, which pleased him. And again, behind a lot of this is a, supposedly a concern for liberty, uh, uh, which they think would be best preserved under an authoritarian state, because democracy is is resource consuming. It has a tendency to to spend a lot of other people's money. In the words of Margaret Thatcher, it has a tendency to. Um, uh, enter various parts of life, whereas a, a, a properly constituted authoritarian state would just do sort of the minimum and accordingly leave you free not to be taxed, right? Other freedoms like <laughs> voting and meeting in, in groups of more than two, right, might be compromised under this state. But the most important freedom is not to be taxed, right? So so that's that's the idea. And uh, it seems contradictory, though. It's deeply contradictory. So this... Um, Nick Land's big contribution is um, the idea of accelerationism, which is the idea that, again, democracy is on the way out. It's not going to work, but we have a responsibility to accelerate it. And that's by sort of creating crises and, and provoking things. And this has certainly been interpreted by people as basically domestic terror events. Uh, and that, um, you know, that is a very, very worrisome trend mm. uh, and aspect of some people's adoption of this thought. So... This notion that democracy is in crisis is something which um, is, is pretty perpetual to democracy. It comes up a little bit more recently, but the um, the idea of hastening the crisis is something accelerationism shares with certain forms of Leninism. The idea that, you know, we'd love to have a mass proletarian revolution, but it hasn't occurred yet. So we, the party, are going to start robbing banks and, mm. you know, yeah. uh, knocking over trains and stuff like that uh, just to make it happen. Because we're bored and we we can't wait, you know. And so this, all of this stuff, like I said, it's pretty dark if you think about its relationship to domestic terror events by by racists and white supremacists. But it's certainly not the Enlightenment. Um, the Enlightenment <laughs> part of it yes. is, is and, what okay, just all to, the people they're following it with um, are opposed to. <laughs> yeah. Now, just just to go back to the, I mean, I, I I get that. Okay, democracy isn't working, and the most important thing is we don't be taxed because we're all tech billionaires and millionaires. Well, the, the racism part of it, how does that express itself? It's, I think, sort of one probable consequence of people's feelings of superiority, right? So um, what's really interesting about these people is they call themselves neo-reactionaries, but they're not reactionaries. They don't want to go back to some past status quo and past hierarchy, uh, which they thought was the golden age or mm. which really worked. Um, I, I, and again, what's really striking me about this is there's a long tradition of anti-democratic thought. Um, for most of our intellectual history in Europe, democratic thought was the minority. People didn't think it was possible. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we had other, we had empires, we had monarchies, we had things like that. 
And even our republics were run by aristocrats. So, so this is a very long tradition. It was pretty much killed off by World War II and the Holocaust, where the consequences of not having people have their rights and have a say in their societies were pretty terrifying. Uh, but it's it's always been there as the interlocutor of liberal democratic enlightenment thinkers, uh, which is only a subset of enlightenment thinkers. And uh, and so it's interesting that these people are sort of trying to revive it. So it's a viable tradition, but these people fit uneasily into it because unless you're born into the aristocracy, there's no point in, in reinstalling a hierarchy from the past, from before the French Revolution, yeah. because you're not going to be at the top of it. And behind all of this is the conviction that I'm the best kind of person. Everybody else is stupid. I should be in charge. Um, all these other people are inferior to me. And and so whether you think they're inferior because they're poor or whether you think they're inferior because they're the wrong religion or whether you think they're inferior because they're the wrong race, the last one is pretty easy for people who who um, are, in fact, white, right? Uh, or other races which, um, you know, want to put themselves at the top of this particular hierarchy, but usually takes the form of, of white people in America um, and other places, you know. Those, you know, those people want to install themselves at the top of the hierarchy. And so it's pretty easy to make the slide into making that a racial hierarchy. Wow. OK. Now, the, the, you said this is a pretty fringy thing. Does does it have many followers? Is it is it kind of a online thing? It is it is an online thing. It's a completely online thing. It's an always online thing. Um you know, a lot of people are online, so it's really hard to gauge how many followers people yeah. have. Unfortunately, just a few followers with homicidal intent and guns um, have, have led to some serious havoc. Um, more concerning is the access to really powerful people who, in the offline world, right? Mm. People with billions of actual dollars, right? Um, like Peter Thiel. So it is very, very, very fringy. What it isn't is good argument. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I think there are a lot of interesting conversations to be had with this anti-enlightenment tradition. Um, but you should go and read people like Demetri, who was an actual aristocrat. So the reason he wanted to go back to a, a hierarchy before the, the French Revolution uh, was he was going to be back on top of it, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and Or you can listen to Carl Schmitt, uh, and who is a genuinely dangerous thinker, who, again, celebrates the sovereign, decisive state, who is, which is confident to invoke dictatorship when it needs to decide the state of exception, right? So there are rules, even in democracies, there are rules, but those rules have exceptions. And the sovereign is the one who decides when the exceptions occur, right? Yeah. So the sovereign is, and under this view, and which is one he takes from people like Hobbes, also interested in sovereignty, is above the law, right? And and so there are, are interesting thinkers with some very problematic views, like Adrian, Adrian Vermeule, uh, who's a law professor at Harvard, um, who is had a conversion to Catholicism and now is pushing the common good constitutionalist state, which is where the state, in the case of the United States, you reinterpret the Constitution in this way. But in any state, you, you engage in politics and the state acts to promote the common good. And we know what those are, right? We know it involves no abortion. We know it involves no same-sex marriage. And we, they, know, yeah. know these things. They, we know it involves certain family structures and all these things. And if the public, uh, be, because they don't know what's good for them, is resistant to this, the state needs enough power to make this happen. And so um, this is a serious enough thinker uh, to, wow. to, to be okay. engaged with, uh, but which that's is undoing that's like the, the common... entire history of Western Enlightenment, separation of church and state, separation of powers, individual human rights, uh, and 
all of the reasoning and philosophy and science which questioned those old certainties, those old hierarchies, which in many cases, in the case of the Catholic Church, has been imported from Aristotle in the 4th century BC via Thomas Aquinas. Right. And, but that, that idea of the common good, it doesn't sound like the common good. It sounds like a good for a fairly narrow amount of people. That's a very profound debate. So if human beings are a certain way, and we know that, and some things are good for them and some things aren't, right, then this is the common good. It's, it's good for all human beings, it's, which is something which is common to us all. And, and this is the reasoning of the church following Thomas Aquinas. There are certain distinctive human goods which are just good for human beings, and we mess with them uh, at our peril and at the peril of our immortal soul. So mm. um, whereas if you have the enlightened view, uh, enlightenment view, which is one enlightenment view of toleration, which is based on the belief that people might disagree about what the common goods uh, common good is or might disagree about what's good and how they should live their lives. I mean, this is the kind of individualist, autonomous choosing for yourself, which these kinds of reactionaries, I mean, I think Vermeule probably is kind of a reactionary in the mm. sense that he wants to go back to like medieval Catholicism or something like that. Um, you know, these are the, the kinds of... Um, individual empowerment of individuals um which they see as having basically turned into just a set of lifestyle choices where people who are easily tempted easily corrupted easily um swayed right make bad choices for themselves uh, and these people would are very very much see being LGBT as as uh, as a bad choice, which is bad for you, but mm. also they make bad choices as societies, like having a referendum in which you uh, establish marriage equality. Right. Okay. It's an uh, but it's an odd journey we've taken because it, it's it, it kind of starts with a almost a, um, libertarian thing where people should have complete autonomy and be free, but as long as this somebody at the top telling you what those freedoms are, which is actually the opposite of that. Yeah, I think basically, ultimately, these people are not libertarians. They are they're libertarians about one thing, and when that's stuff. So, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> because, again, the, the vision which these dark enlightenment types have is not the medieval church, right? Where, you know, even though there was a movement towards separation of church and state, even in the Middle Ages, even in medieval thought, you see people making these distinctions, uh, you know, people questioning how much we can know. Uh, even so, uh, these people really see it as a tech CEO who's administering the country like a company. Yeah. Right. Uh, and if the benefits tend to flow up towards the the CEO, well, that's the power and resources that he needs to control us for our own good. And and I, I don't want to write this off because this idea that we need to be controlled for our own good. And in fact, another figure for Yarvin is, is Thomas Carlyle, the 19th century, very, very popular thinker um, who's not read much these days, but um, who had this sort of great man theory of history, which is that only things are done by great men. Mm. Human beings need to be controlled. Uh, and uh, I mean, this idea that that human beings are like this has a really, really long history. Um, what's really striking is it's usually the person who says that who wants to be the controller, <laughs> right? Very, I mean, and there is this interesting agonistic moment in the in the Christian tradition, which is like, no, I need to be controlled because I know because I'm the only one who has access to my thoughts. I know how weak and awful and, and and you know and and frail I am, and and I know that I can deceive myself, and I can certainly be deceived by Satan. But I, I find that this sort of self-questioning doesn't really seem to crop into these theories very much. Yeah. Somebody's texting to say it's absolutely uh, straightforward that absolute freedom means absolute freedom from me. Um, 
And everybody would have a different definition of what absolute freedom is. Yeah, I mean, and then so you get the Enlightenment liberal view, which is my freedom to swing my my fist stops at the bridge of your nose, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, perfect freedom, you know, Hobbes had this vision of the maximal freedom is you able to do anything. You can even use the body of someone else for your self-preservation in the state of nature. That isn't very nice. It was famously nasty, brutish, and short. And so we need to come up with some kind of uh, freedom in which we give up that power and that right to do anything to anybody so that we can live together without killing each other. And um, now Hobbes really thought that this kind of strong sovereign was necessary or else we'd go back to killing each other. But the Enlightenment was in many ways a long thinking out of how we could put restraints on that sovereign so that that sovereign doesn't turn around and kill us. Yeah, in the Dark Enlightenment, do women feature at all? Not either in the audience or in the writers. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. fair to say. That's, uh, that's asking a pretty obvious question there. Graham, thanks a million as ever, and a happy Christmas to you. Happy Graham, Christmas. Uh, uh, Graham Finley, there you are, listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that, peering into the past. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.